Hello and welcome to Hope for the Introvert. If you've ever wondered how an introvert temperament can be compatible with leadership, then you're in the right place. Join us as we chat with introverts who are leaders and influencers in their various fields. They talk about the challenges they face, as well as the ways they feel their temperament has contributed to their success. Our host is Ben Welk, an introverted leader himself, working as a programme manager in the Information Security Office at the Rochester Institute of Technology. He's also leader of the Society for Technical Communication and a member of the EDUCALS Higher Education Information Security Council Awareness and Training Working Group. You can contact Ben at ben at hopefortheintrovert.com or on Twitter at Hope Introvert. Support Hope for the Introvert on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash hope for the introvert. Joining us today is Andrea Childress. Andrea is the Executive Director of Cybersecurity Governance, Risk, and Compliance for the University of Nebraska. The GRC team provides resources and thought leadership around cybersecurity program management, policy, risk assessment, compliance, awareness, incident response, privacy, and legal requirements. Andrea has a background in application development before moving into management and cybersecurity-focused roles. She has presented at the University of Nebraska Women Advance IT Conference and the Educause Security Professionals Conference. Andrea has a bachelor's degree in business administration management, information systems, and an MBA from the University of Nebraska at Kearney. You can contact Andrea at hildress at nebraska.edu. I encourage our listeners to visit hopefortheintrovert.com, where you'll find complete show notes, including a transcript of today's conversations. Welcome back, Andrea. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. One of the reasons I asked you to be on the podcast was I attended a panel that you were part of at the 2019 Educause Security Professionals Conference on women in leadership. And I know for our listeners who are part of more technical organizations, information technology, information security, it's certainly not any 50-50 mix of men and women in those workplaces. So I thought it would be informative for all of us to talk about the issues. There's a reason that you all had that panel at the conference. Why did you have the panel and what specific issues are you trying to address? And I guess also, what is the state of women in information technology leadership or information security leadership? Yes, Ben, thanks for having me to talk about this. So first of all, why did we do that panel? Well, I have to give credit to my coworker, Cheryl O'Dell. It was her idea. And we wanted to do it at the University of Nebraska every fall has a conference called Women Advance IT. And so it's kind of a pet project of our CIO that diversity, equity, and inclusion are important to him. And so this is something that he did in order to change how the state of the world is, in term, at least at the university. So that conference had been going on for four years as of last fall, and my coworker wanted to do this panel. And so I agreed to do it with her, and I recruited another person, and then 
she recruited another person. So we had this four person panel and the four of us would get on Zoom and talk about, okay, what what questions do we want to ask ourselves? What do we want to share? What's going to make this interesting? So we came up with each person just told their story of how they became basically their leadership journey and how they got to work in security. And then we talked about if or how being a woman had affected the career, right? So if there had been any problems over the years or if there was any issues. And so people shared their stories about things that they'd encountered coming up in the technology world as a woman. And so then we would just sort of open it up to the audience and we got a lot of good questions. And I think the thing that stuck out to me was that women were who would come up to us after the panel and talk about, oh my gosh, like, I'm so glad to hear that I'm not the only one that these kinds of things happen to, or boy, security sounds, you know, really kind of fun. I want to know more. Maybe I, I thought it would, I thought you had to be super technical to work in security. And you guys are showing me that there's room for all kinds of people and all kinds of jobs in that area. And it's super exciting. And obviously there's a lot of opportunity in security because there's way more problems than there are <laughs> than there are um, people to solve them in security today. And then to answer your question about the what is the state, I think it's like 14% of people in security are women. And it, leadership is even a smaller number. It's probably more like 5%. And so although I shouldn't, I should look that up. I don't have it off the tip of my tongue. But it's pretty sad. And, and I have verified that over the years. When I go to sort of a bigger group meeting, I kind of look around the room and I count. And it's usually one woman for every eight men, which I don't know if that percentage works out. But I mean, it's like that everywhere you go. And so anyway, it was my, it was my coworker's idea. And so we did the panel and it was pretty successful. And we felt really great to be able to and to hear positive feedback about it. And so then we decided to repeat it just last month, or I guess that was in May, at the Education Security Professionals Conference. And the same thing. We had a lot of great feedback. People thanked us for sharing that personal information because they could identify and they could relate, obviously. And we were also pretty constructive. Here's ways that we could try to change this. And the biggest one is awareness because a lot of it is so ingrained in people that men and women that they don't even realize it. And then when you point out the things that are issues, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to try to make sure I don't do that anymore. And it's kind of that unconscious bias term that you've probably heard about before. So that's uh, how I got around to working in this area and what the state is, I guess. You know, it's interesting because both of us have gone to that same conference for a number of years. And the conference has grown larger. I'm not sure the percentages have changed at all in that. I mean, we were up over 800 people, I think, this last year. I think we were almost 900. Yeah, so I don't know that there were 100 women there or 120. A good number of them are clustered around awareness and training, which is what I do. So I tend to meet more of them probably. But there was also many people that I talked to, they didn't feel like they belonged. 
they felt like they were around all of these security geeks, essentially, who are all talking in this very jargon-laced language, not even realizing it at this point. And yeah, like I said, I do think it's a mainly unconscious or subconscious bias at this point. But you hear about it with programmers and things like that, just that the workplaces themselves are just not friendly, essentially, or that they're even inappropriate with some of the language or some of the conversation that goes on. So that's some of the challenges. What strategies? I mean, you mentioned awareness as part of the strategy on how to address this issue. Could you expand on that a little bit more? And what do you think would make the biggest difference? And this is not an easy problem or an easy solution to confront or even figure out what to do with. Because in the 2018 conference, there was a breakout session around this watching a coding movie. I don't remember the name of it, but I will post that on the podcast once I've figured out what it really is. But again, you look at your percentage of attendees and there are some men at the thing. It's almost it's primarily women. And with the women in computing leadership panel that you were part of, for the men who attended, to me, it was all of the usual suspects. It was the people I would expect to be there because they've shown interest before and they understand the issue. But I don't know how many new people step into it are that, oh, I'm not going to go to that. That's a soft topic. I'm going to go to the technical topics because obviously everything's going to be solved by technology, which obviously is not the case. So how do you see the raising awareness and any specific strategies around that? Well, you're right, Ben. It is difficult. Not an easy thing to change, but When I said before how one of our people in the audience came up and said, geez, I thought all the jobs were technical. And you said it yourself, a lot of the people in security and awareness and training are females because there's that stereotype about females being teachers and boys being the techie dudes in black sweatshirts and chugging Mountain Dew, right? That's a stereotype. But one of the ways to change that narrative is to is to say girls are technical too. Girls can be technical too. And there's a lot of us out there that have been or can be. And so it's just realizing that it is a stereotype and helping people understand that diversity means bringing in differences, people that are different than you, so that you can come up with a better solution. If you have a room full of white men coming up with an application, you know, building an application, it's going to be very different than if you have a room with ethnic diversity and gender diversity. It will look different, it will be different, and it will actually be better. And that's been proven in studies, right? I'm not, I'm not making that up. But so I think a lot of it is that awareness. And so you have to, people have to learn that when, if you're in charge of hiring someone, you have to kind of it's natural for you to want to relate to someone who looks like you. But you have to realize that you really would need to be filling in whatever skills or gaps that you might have to bring into your team to increase your productivity. Right. And another place that 
I think some people are finally starting to see this as issues. And I know because there have been articles around it, there are a couple of different areas. One is design thinking. What your outcomes are going to be very much influenced by the people who are doing the thinking around the design. And the priorities are going to reflect the people who are in the room. And again, if it's, a, as you mentioned, if it's a large group of white males who are doing the design thinking and they're all a certain Western culture, well, surprise, surprise, their outcome is going to be impacted by that as well. The other place I'm starting to see literature around this has to do with artificial intelligence and building programming around that and all of the AI stuff, which I'm not an expert in. But again, you have many white programmers, white male programmers who are working on that. And then it's, well, what is the AI going to reflect? It's going to reflect their subconscious or conscious biases. It's a problem. It's not an easily solvable problem. One of the things I've seen, I work at the Rochester Institute of Technology, and I typically adjunct teach an intro to computing security class. And we have a large program. There are around 250 students who take these intro classes every year. It's rare that I would ever have more than three female students out of 30 in the class. And not unusual if I have none whatsoever. And that makes me wonder where the problem really needs to be addressed. And I'm thinking it needs to be addressed back at the high school level. Maybe with career counselors or guidance counselors then. So they even understand that there are these opportunities, that there are these career paths, and they are not sex-determined career paths. but trying to think in terms of what do we do at RIT if we have co-op opportunities in our office we try to make sure there are female candidates but we don't have many out of the computing security department at all I'm much more successful again on the communication side in terms of being able to find a good solid female co-op student who is strong at communication which is another one of those stereotypes, but I also recognize how poorly most of my male IT students communicate. So in that (laughs) one, you definitely, you're not that I'm trying to get the best person in that I possibly can. But it does make me wonder where this really needs to be addressed and whether it's entrance requirements or whether it's even awareness that there's that field or that field is open. I'm not sure. I think it needs to start earlier. I don't know how to do that. But I think it needs to start earlier. Probably thinking and brainstorming, I can think of ways to do it where you would go into a classroom as an IT manager, security manager, and then you're a role model. So part of it, I think, is really celebrating the role models and making sure that people are aware of them. Yeah, that's funny because I'm speaking in a couple of weeks at, I'm just looking at, it's called a CyberGen conference in Omaha, and it's for, I think, middle school-aged girls. And so I'm going to be sharing my leadership journey there as well, and I'm pretty excited about that. I haven't spoken to that demographic before, so that should be fun, I hope. <laughs> or it might be even more difficult. I don't know. But yeah, to, to go back to your question, you're right. 
I've heard a lot and read a lot about the pipeline being the problem of females as they grow up and what they're exposed to. But to be fair, it's broader than the pipeline because it's also going to be the professors and instructors and what biases they have and whether women feel welcome in those classrooms or not, too. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that is what I was going to say is that it's not just how early you get to people. It has to be done at at all levels, right? It has to be done all throughout your grades, your schooling and career. And I think I shared at the panel in May that I had heard the Microsoft CEO speak about a month ago, he was here in Nebraska at the University of Nebraska Lincoln's 150th celebration. And he shared a story or he shared a thought about how every year at Microsoft, the class that they hire, the group of people that they hire is more and more diverse every year. But getting them in the door is not enough. You have to then make them feel welcome. And you already said it that way, Ben. And that's exactly right. So if you think about a security team planning an outing where they're going to go see the new Star Wars movie. And I'm not really interested in that, so I'm not going to go. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to go just to get just to be with my team if it's not something I really want to do. And so I wonder what my team would say if I wanted them to go see Bridget Jones' Diary with me or something like that. How many men would come? So it's just things like that. And I just think it kind of, it's like the last episode where we talked about being intentional about networking. I think people, every single one of us has to be intentional about diversity, equity, and inclusion and making people feel welcome regardless of where you are or what team they're on. And that's just, that's, to me, that's being a nice person. Something else you referenced the last time we chatted was mentoring and the importance of mentoring. And I think that's a big piece of this too. And I think men being willing to mentor women and without having harassment problems mixed in with everything else, I think is a big part of it too. I think and maybe mentoring is not the right way to work. Maybe it's advocates, I guess, who are supportive of increasing women's role in IT leadership and mentoring, I think is a piece of that. I think it's the advocate piece is important as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the things I've learned in doing this panel was just people hearing us stand up there and talk just gave them, oh my gosh, I feel so much more comfortable about talking about this myself. And myself as a woman and probably also being an introvert, one of the things that I've struggled with is just having confidence, self-confidence, being assertive, speaking up in meetings and those kinds of things. And I've had to do the same thing in terms of networking, where I just make myself do it, practice and practice and practice. And eventually, when I fail, I realize that I can recover from that. And it's not a big deal. It's not, and if you're not failing, you're not trying, right? You've heard that before. So confidence is a super important tool in life have to take a risk to get a reward. And if you're not taking risks, then you're kind of just warming the bench in life. And, you know, you have to forgive a sports analogy <laughs> where 
we're talking about women. <laughs> well, you are but, University of Nebraska. You are going to have sports analogies. <laughs> this is true. Uh, I went to University of Florida. There will be sports analogies. Right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So any resources that you would recommend? Maybe there are books, maybe there are other types of resources that you would recommend for women who want to be or who already are leaders in different information technology or different technical types of fields. Yeah, well, I already mentioned the Women Advanced IT Conference here at the University of Nebraska. So that's a really great conference now. And there are other ones at other um, higher ed institutions, if that's your industry that you're in. And I'm sure there are in all of the industries now. I mean, it's becoming more and more popular, which is, which is fantastic. In terms of books, everyone's heard of Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. And that was probably the first book that I read that I thought, yeah, you know, I identify with this. And so I, of course, turned around and bought the book for my two female nieces. And I'm pretty sure they haven't read it, but they might need it someday. <laughs> and they may pick it up at some point. That's right. And then a couple years ago, I learned about a book called The Confidence Code. And I read that book. And that was that for me was kind of something that just, oh, this is normal. The way I feel is normal. And it's actually probably more neurological or it's not just the fact that I'm shy or the fact that I'm introvert. Women are less likely to be assertive than men. And that's just a fact. So it just helped me realize, oh, okay, it's just a thing, right? It's just something that I just need to be aware of and I, I can work on it. There's lots of ways to work on that. And there's lots of podcasts I'm trying. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I know there's at least one that I've listened to. I might have to come back and give it to you. <laughs> so you have to give me a list and we'll put some of that yeah, up there. Yeah, can put it in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. But it's interesting. I think the sharing the story part is really important. And mainly because or one of the primary reasons is because people understand they're normal. And that's what I found once I started speaking on introverted leadership as well. I was stunned by the reaction on how many people embraced it and what a difference it made for them for someone to stand up and as a white male someone to stand up as an introvert and a leader and talk about my journey. And that it's just incredibly transformative. It's like the first time you talk to someone who's read Susan Cain's quiet book or something like that, and how different they feel after understanding that things they have thought to be a handicap or something that they believe has held them back. And they understand that, no, that's a normal thing. And also there are strengths and even understanding what those strengths are, I've found has made a big difference. Yeah, that's a great, that's sort of a, a great analogy or it's not an analogy, but a good parallel in terms of being an introvert and being a woman in technology. Do you think it's introvert, extrovert about 50-50? Is that the ratio? I think it depends on what you read. And I'm really I don't know. It's not a low number. It's 45%, 50%. I don't know how many people self-identify either way. And I think there's a lot of confusion 
because there are many people who will equate how shy someone is or if they're afraid of public speaking and assume that that's an introverted trait, but that can be either, especially the public speaking part of it. I have plenty of extroverted friends who are terrified of the idea of standing in front of people and talking. But I do think that what we are seeing is that most leadership is extroverted or are extroverts. And I think a lot of that's coming out of the business schools and the role models that were given as leaders and Western culture in general. I don't believe this transfers across to non-Western cultures in the same way at all. And the few conversations I've had with people and what study I've done, there's just very different perspectives on how you get things done. And the U.S. and America is just not, we're not very good at, I think we're pretty parochial in terms of assuming that, well, this is the way you do things. Of course, it's the way you do things. It's the way we do things here. And I think the lack of travel for people sometimes and even especially not being enmeshed with other cultures, I think you get different. I think you would get a much broader attitude towards who a leader is, what a leader is, what makes sense in the workplace when you get that exposure. Yeah, that's a really good insight. Well, I'm not surprised that you've had people thank you for doing this podcast because I do think it is valuable and I love to hear the stories myself and everyone's perspectives. And yeah, so I was asking if it's 50-50 because I was thinking it, it probably, I think that what I've read is that it is around that ratio, but in the technology industry, right, there's a lot more introversion than, than extroversion, oh, sure. I think. Yeah. And so it's a, it's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a problem, but it's prevalent, right, in technology. And so we do need to be intentional about realizing that and making sure that we're we're helping ourselves. Well, and I think it's a very good thing in terms of a target audience. But yeah, there's a lot of work that can be done there and a lot of enlightenment is one word, which I don't really like, but a lot of self-knowledge and then probably actualization once you realize that, oh yeah, I'm an introvert and but I do have strengths. And if I want to be a leader, I can be a leader and I can be an effective leader. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this has been a great conversation. I've been looking forward to this for a while. It's been fun. So throwing a different question at you to wrap up here, which I've started doing to my guests. What is one thing about you that people would be surprised to learn? Oh, geez. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, thanks for the, thanks for that sideball, uh, curveball. Well, as an introvert, one of the crazy things about me is a few years ago, and I don't do this anymore, but I used to be a Zumba teacher. I went to my first Zumba class probably in 2012 or something, and I loved it. And I've always loved to dance, and so I, at my very first class, I said, "Oh my gosh, I want to be." the one in the front of that room, picking out the music and showing how to do the moves or whatever. And so I went to the training class and I practiced and I became a teacher and I got a, a part-time job where I was teaching it at our YMCA and 
when you sit down and you think about that, where when you're a Zumba teacher, you're like, you have to exaggerate your movements to get the excitement from your students so that you're, you're supposed to be making them have so much fun that they forget they're exercising, right? And so you have to really clown it up. And as an introvert, I realized how hard that was for me to do at first. But it was so much fun. And when you see the smiles on people's faces, it was super rewarding and, and worth it. And it was also very good exercise. So that was great. But I can't, I don't know. I can't believe I was ever a Zimba teacher. I had to give it up for work, <laughs> for work and because I got hurt. So <laughs> I might be past my Zumba days, but. I would have a hard time maintaining a, a smile are... or big smile in front of everyone doing that. So <laughs> it was fun though. Oh, that's great. Well, Andrea, I want to thank you again for being a guest on the podcast. It's been a great conversation. And, you know, who knows down the line, maybe we'll find some new things to talk about and record another session. All right. Thanks so much, Ben. It's been fantastic. Thank you for joining us today on Hope for the Introvert. We hope you feel inspired and encouraged by today's discussion. You can find out more about introverted leadership and this podcast at hopefortheintrovert.com. And if you have any questions or comments on what you've heard, Ben would love to hear from you. Contact him at ben at hopefortheintrovert.com or on Twitter at hopeintrovert. And join us next time. Support Hope for the Introvert on Patreon. You'll love the rewards. From a discount on merchandise to joining the online community of introverted leaders like you, there's something for everyone. You could even join Ben as a guest on the podcast. We appreciate your support. You can find us at patreon.com slash hope for the introvert.